Hello and welcome to Rediscovery, the Star Trek recap podcast that won't infer an entire series plotline through a fortune cookie message. I'm one of your hosts, Carla Donnelly, and today I will be discussing the first episode of season two, Brother, with my brother from another mother, Ben McKenzie. Hey, Ben. Hi, Carla. Um, I think I'm entirely human, though, so uh, I think I think we share the same species at least. <laughs> Uh, but that's all right. On to the episode at hand. Brother is a classic Discovery blockbuster episode and very much feels like a reboot of season one. Like the first episode of season one, The Vulcan Hello, Brother is setting the tone. The theme of mothers and fathers reappear prominently. However, in a post-war environment, these relationships appear more constructive. In Brother, there is a fair bit of mirroring in the storyline and action sequences with the Vulcan hello. However, this time the tension and intrigue generate from within rather than without. In Season 1, Burnham and the Discovery crew set out to vanquish the Klingons and the Terrans. Season 2 is shaping up to be an in-depth character study of the Discovery's crew members and the familial politics of Michael and Spock. Our crew has been through hell. And now the war is over and the trauma is receding, they have the time and distance to reconnect and reaffirm who they are, not only personally but also professionally, onto the task of what Federation vessels are for space exploration. This episode begins with a young Michael being adopted by Amanda and Sarek, something a volatile Spock passive-aggressively takes umbrage with. Transitioning to the present day, the Enterprise is hamstrung and out of service, so Captain Pike is assigned to the Discovery to continue the mission that the Enterprise could not complete. Investigate the source of one of seven red bursts that have been displayed simultaneously 30,000 light years across the universe. The team arrives at the location of the nearest red burst and discover a Federation medical ship smashed into an asteroid. An away team is gathered with Burnham, Pike and two Enterprise crew members. Connolly, a science officer, is annihilated by space debris mid-mansplain and Burnham risks her life to save Captain Pike. Landing on the asteroid, the crew explore the wreck of the USS Hiawatha and are led by some advanced probes built from scavenged bits of the ship's tech to the medical bay, where Commander Denise Jet Reno has been keeping the casualties too injured to evacuate alive using her engineering know-how. They set up pattern enhancers and Burnham reroutes power to the ship's transporter bay and they evacuate the casualties, but just as they are about to leave, the power goes out and Burnham is left behind as the others escape. Burnham runs through the disintegrating ship, but is knocked out by falling debris. When she comes to, she sees a blurry vision of a humanoid figure with wings. Pike returns and rescues her, but the sample she grabbed for Tilly is left behind. In the medical bay, Tilly and Burnham cook up a plan to study the asteroid, as it clearly has unique properties worth investigating. Pike gives command back to Saru for the manoeuvre, and they successfully collect a massive chunk of the asteroid. The Discovery returns to the Enterprise, but it's still disabled. Pike reveals to Burnham that he is staying aboard to share command with Saru, but when she asks to visit Enterprise, tells her that Spock is not there. He went on personal leave a few months earlier to investigate a mystery he kept to himself. Burnham visits Spock's quarters and listens to his personal log, in which he says he is having nightmares as he did when a child, and recorded what he saw. 
To Burnham's amazement, it's the seven bursts across the galaxy, which Spock saw before they happened. Dun, dun, dun. What? Oh, wow. This was so good. I, I was so excited. This episode was so great, Carla. Oh, my God. Thrilling. I know so much cool stuff happening. How did you, that's how you, I was going to say, how did you feel about it? But that's exactly how you felt about that it. That is how I felt about <laughs> it. I couldn't even contain my feelings about it. No. It was so cool. Um, I loved everything. I loved everything. There were so many good things uh, happening in this episode. Um, I got some of my wishes, Carla. Yes, yeah, so much more of the bridge crew. Well, and by more, we mean like five lions. Yeah, anything. Like <laughs> yeah. some of them got to speak for the first time. Well, not the first time, but, you know, we, we got we got their names again in the context where we might even remember them. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Deft a little bit of exposition on that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was watching uh, the recap and I'd forgotten how much they really teased her that it was the Enterprise that was showing up. Like, yeah. they're like, oh, it's, a, you know, the static's coming through. I'm getting yeah, yeah. their dun, their registration dun, dun. number and it's like NCC and it's coming in like one digit at a time. One, seven. Yeah. <laughs> like, come People on, are, like guys. screaming, you know, <laughs> waiting. Oh, so good. So good. I mean, because I had, I had mixed feelings about that. I know. I did too. I didn't want to see them. Go away. Yeah. I'm like, we've got our own crew. We don't need you guys. Yeah. Uh, but then I was like, oh, but... You know, it's not, Kirk's not there. No. McCoy's not there. Nobody's there. Like, Pike's there. And we don't know Pike that much. Uh, But I thought ultimately, like, Spock was going to get in there somewhere. Yeah. So, there was going to have to be a transition or a bridging of some kind that Spock was going to be able to appear on the scene or not appear, as it seems, (laughs) on the scene. Yeah. So, I kind of, I accepted it. But at first, I was just mad. I was like, I felt like it was a nod to kind of original, like, to some kind of fan base that... I felt like, no, it can just be its own thing. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things I loved so much about the first season is it is very much its own thing. It's mm. got those little, you know, like the biggest connection really to the rest of the Star Trek universe is Harry Mudd. Mm. And that's cool. And it's nice. And there's lots of little, you know, Easter eggs and stuff that you can find. But, um, you know, it, for the most part, it really was telling its own story and it was about the characters who were there and it didn't need big connections to mm. the other stuff. Um, but. Um, it does feel good, though. It does feel good. Like, now that it's happening, I'm like, oh, this is exciting. And seeing the, like, the linguistic transition of the, the uniforms, like, it's still the same cut and shape, but it's just a different color. And, yeah. and like, it, that's, that's beautiful to watch, you know? Yeah. And I like, I like how they, they build some of that exposition into the episode in mm. very, very natural dialogue, like where, you know, the engineering officer from the Enterprise is like, wow, I can see where Starfleet's spending all their money. Although... They don't have any money. I don't know. That was a weird. That was that did make me think. But then again, uh, like original series era, there is still a fair bit of talk of money. So there's some sort of money going on somewhere. Well, maybe just because it's such a newer, fancier ship than the Enterprise, yeah. you know. And also, it's a science vessel, so I'm sure it has much more different equipment and cool tech rather than oh, yeah, totally. torpedoes and cannons oh, and all yeah. that kind of jazz. No, the, the ship's absolutely more advanced. It was more, for me, that was just a bit of a weird way comment, to, yeah. to say it. But then I guess it, it remains, you know, uh, a euphemism in much the way we use a lot of euphemisms about things that don't really make literal sense anymore. Oh, that it was just exposition to talk about the uniforms. Yeah, and I, you know? I liked that. But I also like that acknowledgement that this ship is fancy. Mm. Yeah, that was cool. As is their uniforms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they look great in those uniforms. So shiny. Yeah. Um, should we talk? Should we start by talking about the Enterprise crew that we meet? Mm, I have two things I want to talk about first. Okay, go for One it. One was my feelings. Oh, please tell me your feelings. Thrilled. I was a bit. Of, I was a bit worried that I knew too much through the process of creating this 
podcast because the whole first season was like, I had no idea of anything and I purposefully was dark on all the information. Yeah. But it was, I had the same thrills and goosebumps and it was so exciting and the um, special effects are just out of control. Like we'll talk about that later in the short chat section, uh, particularly about like how the budget (laughs) completely blew out, which is quite evident, like how much money they spend on it. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, my favorite Easter egg of the whole episode that I wonder if you picked up on this. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I mean, they're ultimately, like, they're writers and all writers are nerds and they're nerds <laughs> for a writing process. I can attest to that, yes. Right. Yes. So, here's what I picked up. So, the first, it was a very much a mirroring of the first season, as I said in my introduction. Mm-hmm. And just like in the first season, the first two episodes and the last two episodes were an inversion inside and out of each other yeah right so this was a mirroring of that first season episode where it's called the vulcan hello and not doing what was called the vulcan hello was the catalyst for the entire season yeah so in this episode with michael offering her hand in a human hello to the vulcan seems to be the catalyst for this right entire season yeah yeah and of course it's called brother and the brother is not really, he's not there. Yeah. <laughs> so again, you've got that reversal. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. So that's my, that's my two little things. What you want to talk about the discover, like the enterprise career? Well, you know, I, I, cause I don't want to spend too much time on them, no. but they're quite interesting. I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I liked your comment about, yeah, he, he's killed by his mansplaining. Uh, <laughs> that's totally true. And he's such a forgettable character. Like this guy is named Connolly, which by the way is the actor's name. What? How weird is that? His his name he's a, his name. Uh, hang on, I wrote down his actual name. It's also what I get called a lot by accident. <laughs> oh, Connolly! Oh, of course. Uh, but no, his last name's Connolly Affleck. Oh, I don't know if he's one of those he, Afflecks. He was so sullen. He was so sullen the whole time. He yeah, real. Well, I don't think you were ever supposed to like him. No. But also, I kind of found it a bit like there's three. Only three people come across from the Enterprise. Mm. All three of them go on the first away mission available, and one of them is de- dead. And then there's no, like, funeral or anything. Well, I think someone had to be disposable, right? Yeah. To amp up the danger. Like, someone was going to die. You don't want it to be from the bridge because we're going to get to know them. And I guess it's only fair that it's not always the one wearing red. Yes, I was going to talk about that. (laughs) It was the one wearing blue this time around. Yeah, so red shirts are usually the ones who die. So this is very much against canon, which is also putting everybody's knickers in a twist on the internet. (laughs) So it's... Thrilling. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I, and I well, I was relieved though too because I was like, don't kill off the new female character. <laughs> that would be a bit rough. <laughs> she only just got here. I mean, this guy got here and he just got here too, but he's a, he's a dick. So I don't sure, mind. Sure, sure. Uh, and I can actually understand now because the first season it's like, oh, you know, feminists have, feminism's gone too far, whatever, blah. Hmm. I just thought, okay, great. No, it's a good example of how you can measure inequality into the backstory. But now, like, watching this episode, I'm like, no, this is pretty out there in terms of <laughs> feminist, as a, as a feminist text. It's yeah. it's being inflammatory in a way that is, I think, designed to drive certain kinds of fans away and to embrace a new kind of fan that they want to bring in or keep on the yeah. show. I think, I mean, I think a lot, most of those fans are already on board. Although, you know, as we discussed in one of our previous episodes, that the whole killing off of Hugh was a bit of a red flag to some people. I think that yeah. oh, maybe this show's not as different as we thought. And the fact that, you know, he's still in the credits 
uh, the actor and, and you know, exists. He's, he's, he's been visible in the first episode, um, although, you know, only as a recording, which leads us to wonder, you know, how much is he going to be in the rest of it? What is that? For- what form will his participation take? Like it's, it's quite unknown. So it's, yeah, I think, I think they're definitely taking some good steps. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, look, I'm hooked. I'm not going anywhere. No, but of course. It. No, I'm like, bring it on. Yeah, but yeah. I feel, I actually, I don't know, it's some kind of internalization process, but I feel guilty loving stuff like that so much. <laughs> I feel so entirely, I mean, I still, I feel so entirely catered for by this whole show, including, of course, as a queer woman by Tignataro, who there was oh. lots of question marks on the internet over who this person is. Yeah. Oh. We obviously knew who Tig was yeah. before. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I've, I've not watched lots of her stand up, but I, um, I did buy her like the famous set oh, um, yeah. where she talks about the cancer diagnosis, and just like the most amazing deadpan comedian, oh my God. like just perfectly pitched. Um, so I'm, I love, I love her work, and yeah, she's just so great. She really brings that to this role. I think she um, brings like, well, let's talk about. We can talk about Enterprise sort of feels because hmm. Pike really has that kind of cowboy Kirk's swagger. Yeah. Right. And that sort of feels like the deal of the Enterprise. And I feel like Teague sort of has that McCoy kind of acerbicness. Oh, yeah. And I think, and it feels like she's being set up to be kind of like the McCoy of the Discovery. And she's got that, she's got that sass. Yes, sass. That's exactly it. And what I love that, that whole idea that, you know, she's an engineer, but she's been forced to do all this medical work and she's just like, well, the body's just another machine. I'm like, that's so awesome. (laughs) I really dug that. And like the whole fact, like she piggybacked that guy's heart onto another heart because there was no suitable donor. And I'm (laughs) like, What? This is amazing. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, so I love her character. Um, I think, yeah, Pike's interesting because he has got that cowboy swagger, but he's like a really, he's like a really friendly, affable cowboy. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's, he's not leery. He's, he's not out to just <laughs> shoot people. He's just like, well, uh, come on, let's have a good time. You know, like he's, yeah. he's got that, that charm, um, which I really liked. He's like loose, but you feel safe with him at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, I wonder how much we'll see of his, engineer like if she's sticking around because yeah, they return that's... to the enterprise and you're not really sure if she's gone back or not mm. and weirdly like th- this is just a little detail uh, but again I-, I love when they bring stuff in from the other series like her species is a species that was featured in one episode of star trek the next generation okay and when i first saw i didn't realize that when i first saw her i sort of you know was like she looks a bit familiar what and i actually I was thought, trusting you to tell me about the alien stuff so because well, well, I, I didn't know this one yeah well i didn't know either i had to look it up but I, but because my first thought was oh, another cyborg because there's so many we see so many of them like the transporter officer that beams them into the ship from the enterprise is also a cyborg he's got cybernetic bits or is it the prototype geordie laforge Visor. Oh, well, it could be. It could be. That's what I was thinking. And, um, you know, the engineer, I thought she was also a cyborg. But no, she's this species, I think they call the Barzan. And they need, that's a, it's a little respirator because they have like this weird. Oh, they can't. They, they can breathe oxygen, but they also need some other gases that are quite toxic to other creatures. So they have this little thing that sort of injects it into their face so they can breathe it in. Um. That's what she's wearing. So, yeah. and um, But I thought she was kind of cool. We didn't see much of her, but she's. I liked how no nonsense she was, yeah. um, and she had a little bit of sass as well when she's like looking around the discovery, going, "Wow, this is great." And Pike had that great line, like, "Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's starship." <laughs> I thought that was cool. He's um, great. I immediately great. love him. Also, Anson Mount, like he was born to play that role. They could have just called him Anson Mount. Like that is such <laughs> a Star Trek <laughs> captain name. Yeah, it is. You know, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That, that was great. 
it's weirdly like um, I feel like I know Captain Pike fairly well because one of the few things that I have watched more than once of the original Star Trek is the Captain Pike episode, the okay. two-parter, the menagerie. And, um, you know, I like that they had the little the little reference to that in the fortune cookie message. Oh. Um, which I don't know. See, I d- I'm not trying to read too much into it, as you suggested in the intro. But um, Well, give me that back history because I don't know that. So sure. I, and then I can explain what I think it means. All right. Well, so the original pilot for the original Star Trek was called the cage and it was about um visiting these aliens who had these incredible like illusory mind powers and they were trying to capture people because their civilization had been devastated um and put them in a sort of you know a state where they had these illusory lives of luxury and wonder um and they capture the enterprise crew which includes captain pike because kirk was not the captain in the original pilot uh, and they try to persuade him basically to stay on the planet and um, mate with this human woman who's like from a crashed expedition ship that they'd come to find uh, so that they could like breed a race of humans that they could use effectively as slaves. It's not, it's, it's a pretty awful storyline uh, wow. in terms of what they're doing. Um, but then what happened was during the first season, this might dovetail into your discussions about the budget on Discovery, um, but they found because it was a quite a new groundbreaking show in terms of special effects back in the 60s, they were running behind in the production and they had to figure out some way to write episodes they could make real quick. So they turned in a two-part episode, the only one that they made, um, called The Menagerie, which reused a whole heap of footage from the unaired pilot. And so the story became that long before, and this is why Pike was introduced as a previous captain of the Enterprise, like, you know, a decade before um, he was the episode happened, Spock was serving on the Enterprise as a science officer for Captain Pike. They'd had this adventure. And now in the future, Pike's like retired from being a captain. He's been sort of um, kicked upstairs, so to speak, or he's, he's now a fleet commander, I think. Mm. And he is involved in a mission where he gets horribly burned and um, is, ends up in a wheelchair, which is a, a bit weird. Like it's the future. Like, like, Well, there was a wheelchair user on Discovery. And yeah. maybe that was a reference to that as well. Well, it could well be. I mean- I guess more weirdly is that they give him this sort of, and and again, the disability politics of this is not great, but he is effectively, he can't speak anymore. He's got facial burns. That means he can't speak and he can't move very much. And so he's in this sort of remote control wheelchair that's controlled by his thoughts because he's still perfectly cognizant in mind. Mm. Um, And he can only communicate by beeping like once or twice. And I'm like, I feel like in Star Trek future, they would have more sophisticated ways of doing that. But anyway, he can't do that. And so Spock basically kidnaps him and he mutinies effectively to kidnap Pike and take him back to this planet so he can live in this illusory world. Wow. And like be happy for the rest of his life instead of being kind of miserable because the idea is he's, you know, he's like Captain Kirk. He's a man of action. Like not being able to go out and have adventures would be torture for him, which again, as I say, the disability politics and that is not great. But that's the sort of backstory of Captain Pike. So that's what you think. What was the fortune cookie again? Not every cage is a prison. Not every cage is a prison, nor every loss eternal. So I think that not every cage is a prison seems to me fairly clearly like an in-jokey reference to the fact that his original episode was called The Cage and Mm. he goes back voluntarily into this cage to live out his life. Oh, it could be like a raw shark as well. Like, see, to me, I think it means a thousand percent Lorca's coming back. Oh, yeah. Well, there's more than a few people I have heard have said that. But then hearing that again, I'm like, is that a Hugh thing too? Mm, Yeah, it could be. Can he be become like embodied in a robot body or something? 
Yeah, or like you know, Black Mirror style. You know, all of, all of, all of. <laughs> oh God, no, 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 no! Oh, that's horrifying. I don't know. It's Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, well, it would be less horrifying in Star Trek, I assume, but still, um, yeah. Oh. I loved this episode also that it was fun. Like, was. obviously, they've kind of been through a lot, and I think that that was kind of necessary as well to tell those tales about the Star Trek universe that we've known known about but we've never seen properly. Yeah. And now that we just had that fantastic space fun, super cool. And it was like a real – it was a real rollicking adventure, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we had, you know, Science Officer Mansplain uh, destroyed. <laughs> but Which uh, he will forever be known as. He is, yeah. That's his name now. I'm sorry, Connolly Affleck guy. Um, but anyway, yeah, that aside, it wasn't – a very dark episode because yeah. they have this adventure. It's thrilling. It's exciting. Um, you know, yes, they get injured. There's some that feels like the people are at risk, but they succeed in their mission. They rescue um, Tignataro. <laughs> uh, I, I'm never going to call her by her actual character name. No, they, they rescue Jet Reno. And uh, what a great name that is too, by the way. Um, and they rescue all of the medical passengers as well on this medical ship. And they capture this massive asteroid that has weird properties that somehow interact with the mycelial network. Oh, that it's dark matter or, or it's we don't non, know. non-baryonic matter. Yes, that's right. Mm, I might have something to say about that later. Okay. Um, but there is there is a shadow. Yeah. And this shadow has a beard. <laughs> yeah, we do know that it has a beard. That's true. <laughs> okay. So now we know that Spock has been on, well, you know, he goes on two back-to-back five-year missions. Yeah. Right? But he's kind of having some, obviously some sort of breakdown. Mm. I'm just going to lay it on the table. Do you think they are setting up some freaky-deaky incest situation here? It does feel that way. No. And you know what? Like, I've been through this with another TV show. So, the Flash TV show, the DC one. This is creepy, guys. It's like, so creepy. I know you want to think of it as romantic, but first of all, they grew up together as like, sure, not blood relatives, but basically brother and sister. Mm. And that, that's like that's like all those stories of like people marrying their childhood sweethearts. I'm like, that's not how life works. It but doesn't like, work out that way. There's further implications for this as well, considering that Spock then later ends up with Uhura. Mm. Oh well. yeah, so there's, that's a good point. I hope there's no kind of like. I kind of hope it does go somewhere else. I mean, Michael Me Michael's really stressing that she feels it's her fault she and Spock don't talk, that they don't have a relationship anymore. But he doesn't speak to Sarek either, and Sarek is like, I never thought I would hear from him again. We so know why that is, though, because no. that's addressed in the original series. Okay. Because he gets uh, – because remember there's that episode, um, I think it's Leth, I always get the names confused, but where Sarek's having replaying that day where he had to pick who was going to go to the Vulcan Science oh, Academy. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And he picks Spock. Yes. But Spock decides not to go to the Vulcan Science yes. Academy. He gives up his space there and goes to Starfleet instead, and that's – that's the reason why they don't talk to each other for something like 18 years. And, and in fact, they still, when they meet... I didn't realise it was so cataclysmic. Well, when they meet in, um, in Star Trek, the original series, I think, I think that's the first time they I've speak. It, yes. So I think Sarek, even if Spock's in this, I don't think Sarek's going to meet him and speak to him during this period. Hopefully it's just, you know, identity politics sort of swapping over because it's quite clear that Spock has a very extreme reaction to her being full human and Amanda is full human and them having that connection and mm. he has that child, you know, seems to me like a, a cataclysmic version of the, the child. Oh, no, this person is a competitor for food yeah. rather than an ally. But it seems to be even worse because she's also human. Um, 
I don't know. Hopefully, a big question mark over this. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. And I, I, yeah, I hope it goes somewhere else. I hope it's not that. But, but wherever it goes, it seems like it's going to be complicated. And that I'm up for. And dark. And dark. Yeah. Dark and broody. Real dark. Cause like when they, when they realize what the ship is, that look that Sarek and Michael share is like, oh, neither of you are ready for this. <laughs> and, and Sarek doesn't know what happened between the two of them either. Like no. there's that great exchange in Michael's quarters where it's quite clear that he doesn't know what it is that's going on between the two of them. And that's where it feels creepy because he's like, basically, my door is always open to you if you ever want to talk about it. But it's kind of like, I don't really want to know either. Yeah, like I'm a bit concerned about this. <laughs> I will, before we wrap up, I will say one thing. I really, mm-hmm. I thought it was very sweet, um, Sarood trying to grill Michael about her relationship. Oh. Just like about, obviously, she's, you know, become distressed. I did like that. That was sweet. I did, I don't, last thing I want to pop in too before we get onto other matters is I really love Tilly and Stamets' oh relationship God. in this episode. Um, I mean, also, Tilly was just great throughout this. Like, she's very awkward with Pike, which was just delightful. Yeah. But also, um, just that really heartfelt, like, when Stamets tells her that he's leaving the ship because he can't deal with how much Hugh is around, which also was like, what a moment. Like, oh, mm. oh. Um, but she's like, I don't, you know, and she tells Michael, you've got to come back from this. I can't lose more than one person today. But then towards the end of the episode, when Stamets is like, well, I've got to stay on board until we finish this mission. Like, I can't just leave now. Mm. Um, there was just that really lovely moment where he asks to be invited on her science mission. And she said, well, of course you're invited. Uh, and they did the high five over the yeah. power of maths. You know? <laughs> I was just like, this is great. Like, this is what I love Star Trek for. Like, nerds doing nerdy stuff in space together. Loving oh. it. And when Sarah says, pump the brakes. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that so much. There's just so much to like about this episode. Yeah. All right. One more final thing. That actually, that scene really summed up as well. Because I'm like, everybody's lost people on this ship. Yeah. They've, everybody. But it just really shows, like, even though, of course, he he was a casualty of war in the way that, you know, he was a sleeper cell agent that killed him, mm. um, it's still such a personal loss, you know. It wasn't yeah. in war, so to speak. It wasn't in battle. It was, you know, while he was in the room. And that really, that really hit home how raw. And also that he finally has some time and space to start processing it. Yeah. Because he wasn't really, because he was kind of barely, like, not properly aware of it at the time either, because no. he was, like, zonked out on, like, being connected to the network. And, <laughs> I'm zonked out on spores. Oh, and just there's that cre- <laughs> that scene, like, I re- watched the recap of this episode, and it has that scene where he's just holding Hugh's body, and, he's, mm. and he doesn't, he clearly isn't fully cognizant of what's going on. Mm. And it's just so awful. Mm. So, I really, I really like that he's, it's nice to see him in a calm place. Like, he's still very clearly sad. He's still in mourning, but he's not distressed by it anymore he's he's processing it which i I think is a a version of grief that you so rarely see on screen Mm. you know there's this very much this idea in fiction and it comes from our you know culture that's a very harmful idea that you have this one relationship and it's everything and when that is over if somebody dies that's it you can't be happy for the rest of your life Mm. you know you can't have new lovers you can't move on Mm. and i think what we're seeing stamets go through is much healthier still no less sad but much healthier than that yeah. Which I, I'm liking. Yeah, I think it's great because mm. it was concerning in season one. Yeah. But now it's understandable. All right, shall we move on? I think we shall. All right, now it's time for Rediscovery Short Chats where we talk news, trivia, and anything related to discovery. We will also be taking questions during this segment from you, the listener. So please follow all of our socials to be in touch. 
What do you have for me today, Ben? Well, I kind of I wanted to talk a bit about the bridge crew because, like as we mentioned, we we see more of them this episode, which is great. But mm. in particular, I want to talk a bit about aliens on Discovery. Oh, I love it. And, and non humans because we see a lot more of them on Discovery than we see on most of the other Star Trek shows, which I think is a, a function of them having a budget to sort of put them in. Sure. But there's such a weird variety of them, which mm. I kind of really like. Ones that we have never seen before. I know. They're really cool. What about that sneezy snot alien? I, know, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of my favourites. Although I do have to say, someone once told me, shout out to Jay if you're listening, because it, you ruined my life over this. Mm. He couldn't watch The Walking Dead anymore because he was like, I can't stand it when things splatter on the screen. And I'd never noticed it until that point. Right. And now it's all I can see. And when the alien sneezed, it splattered snot on the camera. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> when no. Oh, no, Carla, it's been ruined for you. You're like, there are no cameras on the Starship <laughs> We're Discovery. We're not doing this. <laughs> well, hopefully they so, don't do it anymore. On notice. That was Discovery. But, yeah, I just really liked that. And one of the things I like um, is uh, there's the character uh, Ariam. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Mm. But her name's not said that often, um, and she's the one who looks like a, a like an android basically on the um, bridge. And I think we have to assume she's not actually a full android because there's so much duff about da- data being unique and the mm. only like fully sentient robot, effectively. In so this the has kind of gone around in circles. Mm. And at first they said that she was an augmented alien, yes, which caused some confusion. And now they say that she's a heavily augmented human. Yeah, which yeah. is also weird. I hope there's an episode about augmentation at some point where it becomes a plot point just to give us some context of what is the deal? Like, does it become well, less popular in 10 years' time? Well, apparently or- she can swap parts of her thing out oh yeah for, that's... Just for specific missions and i'm like what is that tech yeah they said where it was on one of the after trek episodes wasn't it where they talked about that yes. is that right or yes. on one of the websites yeah. or something yeah yeah the so links on our twitter if anyone wants to find it yeah so i think that's quite interesting that was from quite thing the other interesting thing about her though is that the actor who played her in the first season is no longer playing her She's now she's playing, playing someone else. Someone else, yeah. She's playing one of the other crew members who's fully human. So they've been like, "We're gonna, we're gonna give you a promotion so people can see your face, <laughs> and we're gonna cast someone else in your role, that's, just as it becomes more prominent." That's very exogenically racist. Yeah, it's <laughs> a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but it, I thought that was very interesting. But yeah, I love that there's so many non-humans on the crew, and I hope, I hope that a couple more of them get a bit more of a prominent role because, like. Like with all the other Star Trek shows, most of the bridge crew and most of the important characters are human beings mm. or very close to mm. human beings. And, yeah, I'd love to see a couple more of the aliens. Like I love Saru so much, but I'd love to see a few more of them get a bit more of a look in. All right. I want to talk about uh, the first six episodes. Well, something for everyone to watch. Mm. So Brian Fuller left the show. Brian Fuller designed the entire universe, which was like three or four shows, which we are now seeing becoming but i don't think he designed them in that way anyway he he imagined a whole timeline with multiple shows the the writers took it over as the showrunners and the writers so they wrote most of season one mm-hmm. they wrote the first six episodes of this season before they were fired yes and um alex kurtzman has now taken over as showrunner he was a writer and a director on the show he's taken over as showrunner and his episodes are from episode seven onwards and he has indicated that you know his show will be very much more aligned so i don't know whether there's going to be quite a clear demarcation or Mm. i don't know but it's something for everybody to 
have in the back of their minds. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, because when we talk about it being he's had this whole timeline of multiple shows, it's important to remember, I think it was always intended to be fitting in with the timeline of, like, the canon timeline of the original series and everything else that's already been made. But, yeah, I think there's been a lot of questions about how much liberty has been taken in terms of, where, where, like, what's weird stuff is going on? Like, you know, um, I mean, because, like, Geordie needs a visor to be able to see when he's blind, and it's not until, like, towards the end of the next-gen movies that he actually gets full-on artificial eyes. Mm. And yet, you know, Detmer on the bridge has got this big Sorry, cranial they, implant yeah. with, like, either an... En- and I'm assuming probably it's an enhanced eye. And, look, a lot of these details are not really important to the plot of the show, but when you're putting them in, you do have to consider that you know that what Star Trek is and who watches it. So people are going to have questions about this stuff. So I'm hoping that what we see is that they have thought about some of these things. And Well, that seems to me like it's the visual version of the cochlear implant. Yeah. So it's not actually it's kind not of replacing like, the eye. It's kind of. Oh, no. she. It doesn't look like that she has a glass eye, doesn't it? It, doesn't, yeah. it looks like an artificial eye. Well, the one eye. on that side. Whereas with Geordie, it's like it totally commandeers his visual network and makes his yeah. real eyes Because his real eyes just didn't, didn't work. Yeah. Um, and so when he gets the new ones, they replace them. Mm. Except when he's on, you know, in Insurrection, when his eyes grow back. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean they grow back? Like, <laughs> I, but, but yeah, he has to take his implants out or something. It's, oh, it's my God. I have on. to go and watch all the movies again. The, Insurrection the is my secret favourite. It's my secret favourite. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll have to go and watch all the next gen ones it, again because got a lot Tom of Hardy's in it as Young Picard, which is oh. so absurd and hot. Look, that he's the best thing about that film. It's <laughs> really not very good. Um, but but Insurrection, yeah, is my secret favourite of the okay. films. I really love it. Do you have any other news? Um, I don't any news. I don't, I don't think. Um, I do want to. Can I talk a bit about science very briefly? Of I just course. I feel like I need a science corner. Um, <laughs> ben, science corner. When uh, when Tilly and Burnham are talking about the asteroid and the fact that it interacts with the mycelial network in some way, they describe it as non baryonic matter. Mm. And I love it when they use like interesting real science terms in Star Trek. Um, and often, you know, so often it's just technobabble that makes no sense and doesn't really interact with the real world at all. But non baryonic matter is a thing. Because baryons are um, basically they're a class of subatomic particle. The most famous baryons are ones that you would have heard of. They're protons and neutrons. Mm. So pretty much all normal matter that we interact with is made up of at least in part baryons. And so non baryonic matter is a, is a real thing, and it's a bit weird. And in our universe, in what we know in the real world, the kind of things that might be non baryonic matter include the matter in black holes mm. or dark matter. Um, or neutrinos, um, that sort of thing. So um, it is a, it is a real consideration that this is weird, and I think the implication is this is non baryonic matter we haven't seen before. So I just I just was quite excited to see a science term used in a way that kind of made sense. Well, and now that the spore drive is decommissioned, mm. I feel like I missed the missed the memo on that. But um, yeah, are we going to have black hole? Are we going to have the ability to make black holes? Oh, God. Oh. Yeah, well, they're going to do something, aren't they? I yeah. mean, it's a science vessel. I just hope they don't end up like the Glen. <laughs> Someone like the Enterprise have to come and save them because they've done something dumb. <laughs> Actually, and look, you know, this is a question is that I was a bit confused about the Enterprise being shut down. Yeah, that's something that I don't understand. It was very much swept under the rug. Yeah, yeah. like they. So I'm like, sure, whatever, I'm going with it. They did mention it. And I think basically... The idea was that um, they they had a lot they copped a lot of interference when they were trying to plot these seven you know red bursts oh, fried their network um, and and it yeah and then when they tried to get there something collapsed it and I'm wondering 
Can I make a prediction? Sure. I'm wondering if Spock sabotaged them so they mm. couldn't go after him. If they tried to go where the bursts were because he knew where they were going to be. And I also found, if I can say one other thing that made it a bit confusing for me is the way they talked about how the bursts work. Because the whole point of them being interesting <laughs> is the seven of them happen identically at the same time, but then they all disappear too quickly for them to get a fix on where they are, except for one, which they can track. And I'm like, but hang on, you know where the others are. You've got them plotted on a map of the galaxy. And then you go to this one and it's not there anymore. Like his famous line, where's my red thing? I was expecting a big red thing. Uh, anyway, but um, the thing that we know is is that the Milky Way, it's a Milky Way universe thing, so solar mm. system thing. So presumably, Galaxy. it's going yeah. to um, impact Earth. That's going to be probably the thing they focus on the most. Yeah, look, this is reminding me that one thing I want to look up before the next episode is um, how the quadrants, you know, the alpha quadrant, beta quadrant, gamma quadrant, sure. how they align with the Milky Way. And I have a feeling that. It's all in the one galaxy. No, I, well, I'm not sure because I can't remember if the Delta Quadrant is like another galaxy, which explains why it's so far away. Mm. But um, our, the Milky Way is about 30,000 light years from one end to the other, if I remember rightly. So, yeah, that fits. So, and then also there was the Milky Way story that Michael oh, yeah. told right at the beginning. So, there's there's a lot of stuff, spider senses there. There's a lot of stuff going on. One other thing I want to uh, let everyone know, if you don't know already, is that there's been a new Star Trek show announced. Oh, yeah. Starring Michelle Yeoh as evil emperor, the emperor, yeah. slash now good Philippa Giorgio <laughs> yeah. working for Black Ops. The whole show is going to star her working in Black Ops. There's question marks over whether it will start production at the end of Discovery or overlap, mm. um, which sort of creates a lot of question marks about you know the the future of discovery and what it is intended to be they're saying four seasons but we'll see what happens there but that is thrilling mm. and then there's also that complements the picard show which is the new picard show which is coming out in september yeah and then there's also the cartoon as well that cbs have so there's four new star trek shows coming out that's lower decks, in process. Isn't it? Lower decks that's right uh that's amazing i'm really intrigued by the fact that you know they've got discovery they've got the section 31 show which will have to be set at the same time as discovery because it's michelle yo's character and that's where she lives um i don't know about lower decks but then you've got the picard show which is this outlier which has to be set further in the so future far into the future than any other star trek show because it's got to be a reasonable amount of time after the next generation so i'm like but what that's before Voyager, though, isn't it? No, it would it be, be set after Voyager. It'll cross over with Voyager's timeline. The last next-gen movie is set after Voyager gets home. Okay. Yeah. Star Trek Nemesis, because well, Admiral Janeway talks to Captain Picard. That is thrilling. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. And also, I just, I just want to see him. I just want to see him. He looks so babe. And have you seen the pre-production photos? No, I've got to find Dude, those. It's, yeah. Oh, I'm looking it up. You'll need a little a little sit down after uh, that. <laughs> I bet I will. <laughs> I hope he's wearing the velvet uh, open jacket. No. Oh, no. Never mind. You've been listening to Rediscovery. All links to creatives are in the show notes or on our website, rediscoverypodcast.com. We'd love to connect with you. Please add us on Twitter and Facebook at rediscoverypod. Rediscovery is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. Find more entertainment for your ears at splendidchaps.com.